When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Shea Station podcast. We have a very fun episode for you guys today covering everything you need to know about the Mets farm system with one of the best in the business who knows prospects front and back. But before we get there, I got to tell you about today's sponsor, which is Vincero. Thank you to our friends at Vincero for sponsoring today's episode. If you aren't familiar with Vincero yet, they make exceptionally crafted and stylish watches at an affordable price. You can own a high quality and lasting timepiece without going broke. So, if you're looking for a perfect holiday gift with Christmas and Hanukkah right around the corner, you can elevate your style or elevate the style of someone that you love and get 20% off and free shipping site-wide with our exclusive link at vincerocollective.com slash shea. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-O collective.com slash shea. 20% off and free shipping site-wide. It's a deal you don't want to miss. Vincero is awesome. They've been helping us out for a while and we really appreciate them. But without further ado, let's get to today's episode of Shea Stay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Shea Station podcast. We haven't seen you in a while. It's episode 115. It's Wednesday, November 30th. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jack, a.k.a. Jolly Olive, reporting to you from the warehouse. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Jerry Blevins, MLB veteran, and a very special guest that we have on the pod today, an SNY co-worker of Mr. Blevins himself, a guy finally my age that we're having on the show, which is a nice <laughs> change of pace. Uh, joining us is the legendary KidCaster himself, Jacob Resnick. Jacob, how are you doing today? Do, doing great. Thanks Thanks for having me. Big big fan of, of the show, so really, yeah. really uh, happy to be on with you guys. We won't tell the Mets pod that you said that, you know. <laughs> That's all. We have mutual admiration. It's past. There's enough. There's enough fandom to go around between multiple podcasts. That's fair. Absolutely. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Jacob is a Mets farm system connoisseur and expert. Probably knows it better than anybody in the biz. Uh, has been doing great work for years and years and years, and knows a lot more about Mets prospects than we ever would. So having him on is a very special opportunity for us to really get to know uh, the lower, middle-tier Mets prospects that maybe you really haven't heard about, as well as the guys at the top end and what they could possibly bring to the table in 2023. Uh, so we got a laundry list of questions to throw at you, Jacob. I hope you're ready. Yeah, uh, always, always excited to talk about uh, Mets prospects. Actually, before I even start, I will say my favorite Mets minor league tidbit mm. is that Jerry was a Mets minor leaguer who never played in the Mets minor league system, but he was technically a Mets minor leaguer at one point. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that, actually. That's what the all site, correct? Oh, yeah. 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 And then when they actually tried to make me a minor leaguer, I retired. That's how <laughs> that's how much I loved it. <laughs> you have you have to go to upstate New York, and I said uh, I'm gonna stay in Brooklyn. I think I'm actually gonna go back to Ohio. I'll see you guys. Later. <laughs> that's not bad. enough. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I think a good place to start is probably with the biggest fish in the Mets farm system, the guy that was recently on the cover of Sports Illustrated, who we saw a little glimpse of at the end of the 2022 season. He had a moonshot 
of Carl Edwards Jr. at the end of the regular season. Francisco Alvarez is supposed to be a big piece of the Mets' future going forward. We saw him catch a little bit, DH a little bit, uh, before the season ended quite abruptly, as we all know. So, Jacob, I kind of wanted to gauge you because you've probably been following this guy for a few years now and have gotten to know his profile pretty well. Uh, Do you think that there's a feasible chance that we see Francisco Alvarez not only on the opening day roster next season, but possibly as a piece of the starting lineup on opening day? Yeah, I think, you know, before he even got called up to make that little cameo at the end of the season, which was really weird because you had figured by that point the ship had sailed on yeah. on calling him up uh, at any point uh, during during the season. But, um, you know, and then they, they started him, but then they, they didn't, you know, play him uh, down the, uh, you know, in the, the – he was coming off the bench and right. it was just – it was a weird situation. So I, I – except for that monster home run he hit in the, I'm pretty sure that was the game where they were officially eliminated. From, yeah. They, that's when they from fell into the, the division. And so like the game, the game like mattered and then it didn't matter. And he, <laughs> that's when he hit that homer. It was just, it was funny timing, but yeah. Um, you know, I, I've compared the situation uh, at least, you know, to, to people I've talked to just to kind of like Pete Alonso coming into the 2019 season uh, where, you know, there were, there was, you know, pe- people were co- kind of calling for him to, to come up in the end of the 2018 season. That never happened. But he, you know, and the team went through that whole offseason coming into the 2019 season, looking at him as a an opening day option, despite the fact that he, he didn't have any major league experience. Uh, and he, he won the job during during spring training that year uh, because he's, you know, Alonzo was, was that kind of guy who was going to outwork everyone, uh, despite the fact that he, he didn't have any major league experience. So I, I think the situation with Alvarez is, is comparable to that. Um, you know, he's, he's younger and, you know, his, his, uh, his hype is, is a little different, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, than Alonzo's was coming to that season, uh, just on, on a national level. Uh, but Alonzo, uh, Alvarez is, is the same way in terms of work, you know, work ethic and, um, they're both, you know, pure power hitters, and uh, it, it would not shock me at all if if uh, he he just straight up won the job. I mean, yeah. you know, you look at at the the Mets catching death chart coming into uh, next season, and you know, you've got two guys who, uh, well, you, you've got one guy who's making a lot more money than the other, but you know, it hasn't performed, and you've got one guy who's shown a lot with the glove, hasn't exactly shown, uh, you know, much consistency with the bat, so. Um, you know, you don't have a lot of flexibility in terms of taking a, a third catcher. So it'll be interesting, you know, be interesting to see what uh, what they end up doing. But um, yeah, I, I could definitely see a situation where Alvarez hits his way onto the uh, the opening day roster next year. Yeah, I mean, I remember in 2019, there was, I mean, what I thought was going to happen was that the Mets would maybe keep Alonzo down for a couple months to try and get that extra year of service time. But calling him up in, a, in April was ended up being a pretty good move because those were games that the Mets needed down the stretch, and Alonzo was hitting right out the gate, you know, in his amazing rookie season. Um, but I do and, think and espe- I was going to say just especially with with Alvarez, it's going to be tough to to make the claim that he you know that they usually make where he needs more seasoning in the minor leagues when you right. called him up the year before, yeah, uh, you know, at the at the end of the year. So uh, you know, I, I think it's it's either you know opening day or or maybe. Uh, you know, very, very shortly after. Another guy that I think might be a little bit more on the fence, who I think we definitely saw, you know, more of down the stretch was Brett Beatty, uh, which was a call-up I think I was more so expecting than Alvarez's call-up at the tail end there. 
And Brett Beatty is a guy that the Mets have been high on for a while. Uh, he's one of the more recent top draft picks of this new regime. Um, and he does play a position that has kind of been a rotating door, a revolving door of different guys, which is third base ever since David Wright uh, eventually retired. Um, but we saw a great glimpse of what we thought Eduardo Escobar was going to be in September when he got red hot and really carried the Mets offense in a lot of games. Uh, toward the beginning of the season, Eduardo Escobar looked more, much more comfortable on the right side of the plate, was struggling with his left-handed hitting. But towards the end, he looked like a true switch hitter, which was as advertised. Do you think Brett Beatty works into a platoon going forward in the early parts of the season, or do you think he gets a little bit of seasoning at AAA? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it probably depends on what the rest of the offseason looks like, um, just because with, uh, I, I think, you know, everything hinges on on what happens with Nemo and, and what they do in the outfield, because that determines where you play McNeil. You know, if they don't bring in another big outfielder, do you, do you shift, you know, Marte to center and, and McNeil to to a corner? And then does that open up a, an infield spot? You know, you can move Escobar to, to second, and and then that would open up a spot for for Beatty to to be an everyday guy. I you know I I, I think we saw with him, uh, we, you know, we saw two things. We saw his his power. Um, you know, and his his uh, his just feel to just put the barrel on the ball, uh, even if he wasn't uh, getting a ton of hits, he was hitting the ball really hard. And I think you know, in a, in a larger sample, that would that would uh, pay dividends. Um, but you also saw the the inexperience of a guy who had only played a week in in AAA before they right. they called him up. So you know, he's he's you know, where as opposed to, to Alvarez, yeah, the call up was weird, but he had at least played in AAA for. Uh, you know, uh, at least, you know, a month and a half, if not more uh, at the time. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think in an ideal world, you go into next season without having to pencil in Beatty in, in a starting spot. Um, and, he, you know, he's he's not a guy who you necessarily want on the bench hitting, you know, five or six times a week because right. he's a guy that you've invested a lot in. He's one of your top prospects. Uh, you know, if he's not going to play every day in the majors, you want him to play every day in, in AAA. So uh, I think it'll be interesting. I think, uh, like I said, a, a lot is to be determined about what, what spots are open on, on the infield and, and uh, you know, where, where guys fit in. And I think the plan was always to have Escobar be that, that bridge to, to, uh, to Beatty. And I, I can, you know, envision a, a situation where Escobar starts the year and uh, and Beatty, you know, takes that that mantle from him at, at some point. And Escobar is the kind of guy where you know he's he's a veteran. He knows what his role is. He's you know not gonna not gonna be uh, you know upset with with the younger guy taking his starting spot. And he'll probably you know settle into a to a bench role or he can move around to second base. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. But but really, you know, excited to see. Uh, potentially more more Beatty in the in the majors this year. That's that's the the difference for me, and I think you nailed it. Is Alvarez being on the team behind the dish makes the team on paper better because of his power production. If you pencil in Brett Beatty or even an extension of that with Mark Vientos into that lineup, I don't think the team is improved from the 2022 version, which I don't think the New York Mets want and Billy Epler and everybody wants to improve upon a team that won 101 games. And so I think they're, like you said, I think they're going to let Escobar play and hope he runs with it and let Beatty get another year of seasoning. But if not, 
they hope Beatty is ready by the time if Escobar falls off where they don't have to go out looking on the trade market. They have a guy ready and waiting to come up. And then from there, do you see Vientos having a position um, apart from, you know, the third base, third base, first base that's kind of solidified already as Vientos only a bat that's only a DH and is he going to provide enough power to to allow that to be a position for him to take with the Mets yeah it's it's tough and I I think uh in an ideal world uh when they tried working him out in the outfield now two seasons ago um he would have kind of you know taken that and, and ran with it and added that versatility to his game and it just it didn't didn't work out. He didn't look comfortable out there. Um, you know, even, you know, they tried Beatty out there and he, he looked, uh, not, not great, but still better than, than what Vientos looked, uh, out there. And, um, yeah, it, it's, and you know, he, he's not, you know, he'll make the routine plays a third. He has a, he has a strong arm. Um, but he, he just doesn't, doesn't move very, you know, he doesn't have that, that quick twitch, uh, that, that they talk about, uh, being, being important for, for an infielder, um, you know, and, and he's, he's certainly made his, his share of, of kind of, you know, lackadaisical plays uh, in the field. And, you know, obviously the, the Mets are, are set at first base and I think DH is interesting, but then you, you, you look at is his bat even ready to be that even, you know, you know, when you're a DH, it's, it's all about the bat. And I don't know if his bat is at the point uh, where you feel comfortable with him being, being an everyday guy there. Um, perhaps a, a platoon because he did hit lefties a lot better than he hit righties in, in the minors. And we know Daniel Vogelback uh, just absolutely cannot hit lefties. So perhaps they work a platoon there. Uh, but I think you can do a lot better than, than you know, those two guys uh, for that one spot. Um, and, you know, Vientos has a, a ton of swing and miss in, in his game. Um you know, not, not a guy that, that you're expecting to hit for a high average at all. And, you know, he's got crazy power, but is he going to make enough contact to, to get to it? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, so, you know, I, I, I picture him like Beatty, you know, starting in Syracuse and, and getting, getting more, uh, more seasoning there. But Vientos is kind of in a different spot because he already played a full season at, at AAA. So he's, um, you know, he, he's, he's kind of, um, you know, not towards the uh, the point where where you're it, it's you know prove it or lose it kind of thing, but he's he's kind of getting to that point where you just need to see more consistency in terms of the the contact, especially in a in a platoon type role where the the at bats are going to be even more limited, where that swing and miss could be exploited and run rampant. So yeah, thank you for answering that. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of a tough spot because Vientos did get that full season at AAA. He hit extremely well. I believe he was a AAA All-Star. And, you know, if you do have to put him back there, it's kind of tough because that feels like stagnant progress for a guy like Vientos. who really shows flashes of offensive brilliant uh, brilliance. But now you have another problem because I know you covered this recently. Ronnie Mauricio is playing his first games at third base <laughs> in Lidom right now. We saw him get a little bit of run at double A, and we all know that he is a shortstop by trade. That being said, Francisco Lindor is on the books for the next decade, so it's probably not feasible to see Ronnie Mauricio coming up as a shortstop. So what do you do with a guy like Mauricio? Do you continue to run him at third? Do you have him play left field? Do you shop him around? He's kind of the odd man out of this Mets farm system while still being really at the top end of it. Yeah, it's 
it's really, really weird to me just how they've they've handled his uh, development over you know the last couple of years. Um, you know, you, you don't want to say just because you have Lindor under contract until you know we're fifty years old. Um, <laughs> you know, just you, you don't want to say just because of that. You know, you've got to play Mauricio somewhere else. Um, that being said, and this goes for anyone, versatility is a good thing. Um, you know, they they even they did it with Beatty and Vientos. They started getting them looks at at you know you know left field, and Vientos played first base. Um, you know, and, and Mauricio is by no means a you know a future Gold Glove shortstop where it's like you're losing so much by playing him at a different position. Um, it just it it would have been a good idea just to to see what he can do at at third base or see what he could do in in the corner outfield spot or or uh, you know, I'd be maybe a little big to play center field but definitely you know definitely a corner outfield spot you know he's 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 fast and and um, you know he he moves well so um, it's just it's just weird that they they never um, got him looks during the regular season at a different position and and what the report said was was that it was the the, the team he's playing for, Lise, asking the Mets if he could play a different position because they had O'Neill Cruz come in to play shortstop just, you know, starting this past week, um, you know, and, and the Mets said yes, but it, so it wasn't their idea to send him to, to the Dominican Winter League to get reps at different positions. So it's just weird. Um, and, it, you know, with, with him, it's interesting just because his – his potential he flashes is, is insane. I mean, it's, he, he was the number one prospect in the organization for a long time for, for good reason. And um, that was even before he got massive and, and filled out and, you know, looked like a guy who could hit, you know, 40 homers and, uh, and steal, you know, 30 bases, um, just the physical freak, but, um, you know, he, he's shown and continued to show that, that his plate discipline and his swing decisions have, have not gotten, uh, better. I mean, it was it was it was a, a question mark coming into this season, and he didn't really show a lot to improve on that. I mean, his his on base percentage was in the the two nineties. You know, that's that's his on base percentage. He's not he's not walking. He's also he doesn't strike out a lot. He just he doesn't make you know consistent quality contact, swinging at pitches a lot out of the zone, and you know pitches that he should probably lay off on. So um, you, you would think he'll, he'll be in Syracuse this year, and he's on the 40 man roster, he, he, you know, spent a year, you know, one of his option years on, on the 40 man roster without ever being, you know, in consideration for, uh, for a major league call up at any point. I mean, that wasn't in the cards for this year. Um, you know, and, and I can see this coming year being somewhat of a make or break season for him, which is kind of crazy to say for a guy that's, that's as young as him, but, um, you know, he's really kind of had that prospect, status for such a long time that at some point it's you know you've got to you've got to show the consistency that 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 position warrants you know yeah I think he's he's reaching a point in the organization where they're going to run out of space to keep him at such a high level uh he's still a very good prospect like that doesn't he might fit better in another organization that doesn't quite need him but again this is a this is he's going to be 22 I think this year um, this will be a big year for him because his body, like you said, he's changed. He went from this, you know, Ahmed Rosario skinny type to this, like, holy crap, are is that the same guy? He looks like a 40-40 guy. 
he looks like the capability. And so maybe he's finding his way physically. Um, so I still think that, you know, the sky's the ceiling for, for Mauricio. Um, I could see him working and finding a way to force himself into the big leagues, because if you hit and you have that speed and maybe even, you know, because he doesn't strike out that bat to ball skills ends up in a double territory. Um, you can find, they'll find a place for him to play, especially with his uh, speed and athleticism. So I'm not ready to close the book on him yet, as I know you're not either. Um, but I, I do think that this is a big year for him within the organization. And and what I'll say is that, like I said, he's on the 40 man roster, but he's not in that conversation for being on the major league roster right now. So that's, a, that's a weird position to be in. If they were to say, you know, designate him for assignment to, to make room on the, on the 40 man roster right now, he's getting claimed and, you know, some lower, you know, the pirates or, or, you know, the, the Marlins, they're, they're claiming him and they're running him out there in the major leagues. If he has another full season where he runs a 290 on base percentage and then you DFA him, at, you know, after the season that then you're at the point where, okay, it's been multiple years of you're a 40 man guy who's not performing at the upper levels you know, perhaps he he's kind of not viewed by other teams in, in that way anymore. Very yeah, and the thought of the Pirates claiming him and getting a second <laughs> O'Neill Cruz on their everyday <laughs> roster is pretty pretty uh, pretty yeah. scary. Um, so the, it's been kind of a quiet off season so far for the Mets and most for, for us, everybody, yeah, you know, for literally everybody. <laughs> it's been bone dry, which is why we haven't been doing Shea Station a lot. Um, and you know, we're happy to be back today for sure. The Mets have made. Depth moves, which have proven to be good in the past. Billy Epler has kind of had an expertise in that regard, and it's been mostly pitching so far with guys like Elisa Hernandez, Jeff Brigham, Stephen Ridings, Taylor Saucedo. Um, do any of these names jump out at you as potential candidates for next year's bullpen? Because the bullpen, as it stands right now, is incredibly thin behind guys like Edwin Diaz and Drew Smith, and of course, John Curtis, who had his option exercised. Uh, do any of those four guys or any other moves kind of stand out to you so far early in this offseason? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at the very least, it's just been interesting to to follow and and keep track of, and just to see the organization be proactive in in bringing in these guys that you know are kind of viewed as like you know they're not they're not elite relievers, maybe they're not even like that next tier, but they might be in the third tier, and if they make the the, the necessary tweaks, they could get you know to that that you know setup level. Uh, you know, reliever and, and you know you like to see the organization get to that point where they're capable of making those tweaks um you know as we've seen with with the dodgers um and and, and uh the astros and you know all those, those tampa uh, and san francisco yeah, yeah. exactly those those organizations who just are in the narrative of being able to take a guy uh like an andrew heaney or you know whoever make a tweak and and all of a sudden he's he's uh, a very good pitcher uh, so it's just been interesting to, just to see these pickups, and you know, the other part of it is all of these guys are are optionable, and and they're they're you know not locked into keeping any of these guys on the on the opening day bullpen. Um, you can kind of sh- shuttle them up and down if if necessary. Uh, I think you know Jeff Brigham and and Eliezer Hernandez that trade with the Marlins was was interesting. I think on, on one hand, if you're picking up guys that were discarded by the Marlins, you know, who are, you know, not exactly pumping out, uh, you know, elite reliever after elite reliever. If they're, you know, not good enough to crack their bullpen, you know, why would they be good enough to crack the Mets bullpen? Um, But there are guys who who have shown 
flash, you know, flashes and, and interesting traits. And, and like I said, you're not asking them to be Edwin Diaz, you know, clones, um, as long as they can just give you quality innings, you know, That'd be nice the way they could be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it would be, it would be nice if you could claim Edwin Diaz off waivers, but, <laughs> uh, or, you know, make a, a minor league trade like that. Um, but yeah, you're, you're just asking them to, to give you, you know, quality sixth and seventh innings. Um, and I think that's fine. I think they still have a, a glaring hole to fill, you know, the out and the, and the Lugo role of, of guys who you, you feel comfortable throwing out in the eighth inning. Uh, I don't know if those guys are there yet. I don't know if Drew Smith is is there yet. Um, you know, someone like Bryce Montez de Oca has has the stuff, but he doesn't have the experience. Um, so I think it'll be interesting. Like, yeah, I like I said, I like I like Brigham. I like Hernandez. I think with Hernandez potentially could fill that Trevor Williams role um, of uh, you know being able to start, being able to come out of the bullpen, give you multiple innings. Uh, and, and Taylor Saucedo is a, a lefty and you can never get enough uh, lefties. Yeah, the Mets do not have enough lefties. You, so. you personally attacked uh, Jolly there with not saying Drew Smith might not be there. And then you go yeah. after Bryce Montez you know which to? Like, you, <laughs> he, he loves uh, Deoka so much. <laughs> yeah, uh, me, me, me too. He, he's, just, you know, just, uh, you know, you want to, you want to see some, some more. You want to see some seasoning. Trouble. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna you gotta learn how to harness that gunslinger. Yeah, um, yeah. That's cool. I like so Jeff Brigham is a solid guy. Hernandez is a solid arm. These are guys that could give you quality innings at some point. Definitely not any um, any big names. They've been attached to and said that they are openly trying to get Adovino back, which I am a big fan of, and I know Jolly is as well. Me too. Are there any names? underneath those guys are there any fringe starters um that they might move to the bullpen and the in the organization are there any names that you're like this guy behind the montez de Oca, or even if you if you throw that name out there that we should look for to make an impact at the back end of a bullpen yeah i mean i think the the guys like you know tyler mcgill and, and david peterson if if they're not uh you know, given a starting role. And I think the objective going into the next year should be make sure, you know, nothing against those guys because they, they both were, were good at points during, during uh, the 2022 season, but you should go into next year, you know, either having both those two guys battle for the fifth spot or, you know, not guaranteeing them a starting spot because that means you've built, you've built the depth that, that you don't currently have in that, in that starting rotation. So if they could push those guys, you know, in steam ago, we've seen his stuff, but, the, the bullpen experiment with him didn't exactly work when he when he was used in that role this past year, but he's he's got high octane stuff. He can get up to ninety nine, and he's he's got good breaking balls, so potentially he could work work well in the the back end of the bullpen. Um, you know, even even a guy like you know Joey Lucchese, we, we've seen we've seen in the past is you know used as a starter, but potentially as a lefty coming in with just you know the fastball curve combo could could work in uh in short terms and yeah he's such an interesting person too like the the fact that he throws a strange pitch makes perfect sense he's very left-handed which i appreciate as a fellow lefty but he's he's like people forget that he was very effective for the mets and was for a long time a big trade acquisition um and then had tommy john he he came out looking really good and i i forgot about him during the season i was like oh yeah he's got to be getting close at some point 
Um, is he going to be at full strength? Do you think? And do you imagine? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, he was he pitched quite a bit. I hope you can't hear the dogs barking in the back. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, he uh, you know he pitched quite a bit in in the minors on technically on his rehab assignment, and it was a little interesting why he he wasn't ever activated from that rehab assignment. Uh, I think he pitched like you know ten times, which is quite a bit for for a rehabber. But yeah, he sh- he should be good to go uh, going to next season. Uh, you know, going down the, the depth chart, someone like Jose Buto, who, you know, I know Mets fans just because they saw that one outing in, in Philadelphia where, honestly, he gave up, you know, he however two bad pitches. He gave up two home runs. It was, it was a weird game, and, you know, that was the Nate Fisher game and the Mark Hanna yeah, hitting yeah. two home runs. I mean, that just – you got to wipe that from, from the ledger. He wasn't ready for that start. It was – that was a weird time. Um but but he's the guy who who potentially also could work in in a bullpen role, and he's already on the forty man roster. Um, I do I want to mention because you know in terms of like under the radar guys, and um, I have an article that might be up uh, by the time people are listening to this on on SNY TV plug uh, with uh, you know some some under the radar names I'm interested in, and uh, two guys that that stood out to me, um, right hander both right handers Grant Hartwig and uh, and Daniel Nunez. Um, Hartwig was an undrafted free agent in in 2021, and started the year as a 24 year old in in Low A at St. Lucie, pitched at St. Lucie, Brooklyn, Binghamton, and he ended the year in Syracuse. So he went wow. from undrafted free agent last year to uh, pitching in Triple A. How old is he? He's he's he was 24 this this past year. So good for he, him. So he's right he's right there. Yeah, he's right in that conversation. He went to the Arizona Fall League. What what was uh, how do you how do you say his name again? Hartwig. Hartwig. Hardwick. Okay, I'm writing that down. Uh, he, yeah, I mean, so you know, on one hand, he kind of came out of nowhere, but he's also he's thrown a lot harder. He's up to to 96 um, compared to he was like a 89 to 91 starter at uh, at college. He went to to Miami, Ohio, and uh, yeah, he he <laughs> he uh, he you know went shot up the levels. I think you know he he uh, had a had a long scoreless streak in there, and you know just just the guy that that performed really well uh, and and could potentially be in the conversation w- wouldn't surprise me to see a, a spring training invite for him yeah um, i mean i'm looking at his double a numbers right now he had a one one four and 23 and two-thirds innings and he went for yeah single a high a double a triple a all in one year that's a i don't think i've ever seen that before four levels in uh, one year. that's a uh an organization understanding where he is in his age saying this is a you know you 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 beat around it but this is a shit or get off the pot kind of moment for a guy are you good enough? It looks like you are. Let's move you up quick and see if you can get those those guys out. So that is a a name I'm be looking for. And if if yeah. if I get a if he gets an invite to spring training, you can tell that he's he's flashed enough heads and turned enough heads to say, hey, but this is a guy we need to get eyes on. So I'm sure uh, if 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 uh, the the top brass gets to look at him, that's a good name. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. And then and then the other guy, Daniel Nunez. He's uh, been a name that people have been aware of because he was taken from the Mets in the Rule Five draft uh, after the uh, 2020 season, taken by the Giants, um, and then had Tommy John surgery, and then came back to the organization uh, last last winter, and then rehabbed, and then got back up to to Double A Binghamton uh, this year. He he's the guy who throws hard. He was up to he was up to to 97, 98. 
and uh, has a real good slur slurvy breaking ball. Um, also, also had good stuff, you know, good numbers this year. Um, and I, I was a little surprised they didn't push him up to to AAA to, to end the year, but uh, you know, first year coming off Tommy John, you know, t- taking him a little slower. Um, but yeah, you know, especially if if the Mets don't, you know, bring in another Ottavino level guy or, or multiple guys they're they're gonna need to to use these arms and and you're you know not not just the the waiver claims they're making and the, the trades they're making but you know developing these guys I think that you know you look at relievers the Mets have developed you've got you know Drew Smith and you know potentially Montez de Oca in terms of guys who are who are prospects and and that's about it. I mean, other guys like Lugo, they were starters con- converted to to relievers. Well, that's uh, a big gap too, in in uh, yeah. you know, in in years, considering how many guys you know a team needs, there's been a lack of development of high end bullpen type arms. Um, and like you said, I hope that Peterson and McGill don't ever have to move to the bullpen because I feel like McGill has a huge high ceiling of a true number one, solid number two kind of guy. And I think Peterson is a is a number two, number three, like max potential. I was impressed by by Peterson the most with the way he handled the bounce and back and forth and up and downs. McGill came out firing on the opening day and <laughs> the move to the bullpen I expected, as everybody did, and you mentioned it before, his ascension to like, all right, he's got elite stuff. Let's see how it plays in the bullpen just in case. And we didn't see that. So that, that goes to show me like, you know, that's – it's a different animal and he might not have been completely healthy and afraid to like, let it go. But um, you can't always count on guys to have that. So the lack of development of those guys, and that I was shocked to see Zapucky, even though I know Mets fans were done with him after that start, <laughs> uh, you know, a high end left-handed arm that they've had high hopes for. Um, he never got a chance to be in the bullpen for real. Uh, and from the left side when a team needed him, and then they traded him, and what they got in return was pretty tough. <laughs> with Darren Ruff. It. Yeah, it was it was a bad combo. <laughs> but those are the kinds of guys that you know they're they've got him and they're trying to develop, and then they just don't work out as a starter. Move them over to the bullpen and and see them blossom. We just we haven't seen that out of the Mets at all in the last few years. Yeah, one last bullpen thing I wanted to touch on since we're talking about, you know, the depth behind the guys that are established. I personally, and I think Jerry was as well, uh, I was a little surprised that the Mets rejected their side of the mutual option on Michael Givens. It kind of seemed like an easy middle relief guy just to have a name in there. Even if he didn't end up making opening day roster, it would have been a little bit comforting to just have someone behind that's established. Were you surprised, too, that Michael Givens uh, wasn't invited to come back uh, to join the Mets again? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, I think sometimes with those guys that you you acquire midseason, you know, you kind of sometimes pick them up as as stop gaps, and you don't always look at them as long term pieces that you know you're you're looking at for for next year. And um, you know, I, I I'm trying to find the exact number. You know, it wasn't anything crazy, but it also wasn't you know a league minimum number I think that it was the option was at three and a half million. To Didn't he have a buyout too, to where it was like, you know, it was like, is it worth three or four million? What yeah. he was going to get paid? I, it, it, yeah, th- three point five was, was the mutual option. So you know, nothing crazy, but also w- when you look at what they're needing to do for next year in terms of 
you know, keeping things in the payroll perspective, maybe that just wasn't what they wanted to commit to a guy like that. Whereas, you know, and we've seen them, you know, claim league minimum guys off waivers uh, or, you know, make these trades um, for potential bullpen pieces. You can, you know, you know, cut money here and there and, and potentially repurpose that somewhere else. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Sl- slightly, slightly surprised. Um, you know, maybe they, they, you know, go in, and uh, revisit him later in the offseason. But also, you know, you can kind of find guys like that who can give you kind of, you know, the same production and the same leverage innings. Uh, whereas, you know, a guy like Diaz, they have to pounce on that because you're not going to find another guy that's going to give you that. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, middle relievers, uh, I-, I won't say exactly grow on trees, but y- you know, there's they, a, they, there's a larger swath of that for sure. Yes, yeah, absolutely. No, I, that makes sense to me. Gotta, yeah. gotta be careful with my, my words about, about, uh, mid- no, I, I, I appreciate that. Special specialty relievers. Uh, <laughs> on shells, man. You gotta be careful. Jerry yeah. takes it personally, you know, very, I'm very, pr- yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'll hold a grudge forever. If I see you in the S and Y hallways, you'll know why I'm giving you the cold shoulder. <laughs> Well, speaking of SNY hallways, we've talked about the kids in the Mets organization, but let's talk about the kid over at SNY. I'm wow. not sure how many people wow. know this, but Jacob, you have you have a long history with SNY despite your young age. Where did it all start? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it started with just being a, a a a crazy, you know, young kid just loving everything and every, you know everything about the Mets and um and and you know watching the broadcast every night and just just taking an interest in you know the 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 people who work in the game that that aren't on the field you know broadcasters and and writers and people who cover the team and i was always aware of that from from a young age you know enjoying you know gary keith and ron and and reading the newspapers and reading you know mlb.com and and uh the uh, the people who cover the team and um, having an interest in, and in wanting to potentially have a career in, in, in sports media, you know, covering, covering baseball in, in some capacity. Uh, and the, uh, the SNY kid caster contest was, uh, was in its relative infancy. It might've been the, the third or fourth year that they, that they had done it. And uh, it was just kind of a, a funny thing that, that I, wasn't you know i was 11 years old and you know wrote a the application was like a hundred word essay which if i had to write (laughs) if i had to write hundred word essays in in college i would have had a great time but um uh but you know i i won that contest and was just over the moon excited about it and 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 happy to just just do it and and you know get to meet gary keith and ron and and go in the, the booth and all of that stuff uh, not expecting anything to to come from it, and uh, Jose Reyes hit a hit a home run while I was in the booth. I I, I called it. Um, it. It went mini viral. Uh, you know. Can you remind those... me again who Jose Reyes hit that home run off of? <laughs> we were just talking before he came on. Brad Hand, <laughs> uh, which which uh, uh, funny enough, when when I I came into the booth and and first you know. They, they, you know, Jacob, take it away. When I first started talking, I had just finished elementary school, fifth grade, and I had one of my one of my teachers was Mr. Hand, 
Blast Saint Hand. <laughs> and I I had uh when I came into the booth, I when I was saying, Okay, here's Jose Reyes, he's facing and I said my teacher's full name. <laughs> Uh, which was was not Brad Hand. It was a different name. Um, so that was that was my first mistake. But I that's I, great. I, I, I quick quickly avenged it. Um, so you know that and that was that was awesome. And that just kind of set things in motion. I, I was uh, a co-host on uh, SNY Kids Clubhouse the next season, which I don't think is is on anymore. Um, but that was really fun. You know, got to to interview. Uh, all, all the guys on the, the 2012 team, you know, from David Wright, Daniel Murphy to Justin Turner and uh, Kirk Newenheis and, you know, just a lot of random guys on that team. And, you know, it was a lot of fun for, for a 12 year old. Um, and, you know, from there it was like, okay, um, I'm, I'm in this. I want to be around this. I want to, you know, do everything. And, um, you know, the, the, the Twitter stuff kind of popped up unexpectedly and, you know, started writing for, for some, some blogs and and just kind of that took me into into college where I, I did um, you know the whole the whole communications media studies thing and you know all the the covering of the college sports and um, just kind of setting setting me on on this path of just wanting to to be involved with uh, you know baseball and the Mets but just really just kind of you know sports and, and storytelling is really just what I'm what I'm super interested in. That's awesome. I, I really always enjoyed hearing stories of younger people who have found their way into the sports industry because my route there was very convoluted and, you know, not traditional as well. And now I get to host a wonderful podcast with Jerry Blevins. Crazy. Yeah, you, you get, you know, it, it, it's fascinating to me too, because when I was a kid, I'd never even thought about, you know, I enjoyed the broadcast and I enjoyed all of the the goings on around the team, but it was all about playing baseball for me. And then once I got into the game a little bit deeper, I started to appreciate, you know, even as a player, the writers, especially when you're surrounded by so many, you understand that there's a, there's people out there that are really good at their job. And even in different fields, you start to respect those that, that really excel in whatever capacity. And the Mets are blessed on so many fronts to have, the great booth and the TV, the greatest radio booth, like all of the above. Um, and so to see you chase your dream and like become and live a part of it. Uh, that's really cool, man. I, I love seeing it. I didn't know that you were a kid caster. What yeah. year was it that you did the kid casting? 2011. 2011. Okay. So it was, I wasn't there. I wasn't there. So at least, at least I'm still that young. Yeah. I was playing just, I was in the other league. So that's good. <laughs> That's great. I'm going to watch it when, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to watch it. Um, are there any, uh, like, you don't have to reveal anything too crazy. I know you're, you have a great job as is, but there are aspirations. Were there as a kid to be Gary Cohen? Um, is that still kind of what you, you want to do? Yeah, I, I think I went through, uh, you know, the the definitely the the, the phase of wanting to be a, a play-by-play broadcaster and then wanting to be a, a, a beat writer and then you know kind of wherever I am now with just kind of being interested in just being around and you know the the social media aspect of it and the the you know creative content creation um, I think is is just kind of an open-ended field um, so yeah I mean I, I I've I got to do a lot of broadcasting at 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 Quinnipiac where I went to, to school and 
uh, I definitely, you know, I, I enjoyed doing it. I, I didn't think I was terrible at it. I just, you know, it's, it's hard and it's a lot of credit to, to the people who do that and the, the people who, uh, you know, dedicate their, their lives to being in that, that field of, uh, of play-by-play broadcasting. So, uh, don't, don't know if that's exactly the path that I'll, you know, keep going down, but, um, that's a- definitely, uh, that's a yeah. grind even more. I mean, there's yeah. only there's only 30 jobs versus, yeah. you know, 750 or 780 now um, players' jobs. There's only 30 play-by-play guys, and they've got to do the grind too. They've got to do the travel, the hotels, all the above. And so that's one thing that I've learned to respect. And whatever capacity that you find yourself in being around the game, I love the game of baseball so do you, you find a way to make a living doing covering a sport that you love. That's amazing. Um, Why, or did it come organically? Because I am not anti minor leagues. I spent a long time playing in it. (laughs) I just know that my capacity to, to, to do what I need to do at the major league level, I can't give myself enough capacity to even pretend like I know enough about the minor league development um why is that something that you fell into naturally or is it something that you chose uh to do yeah i think it started um i guess my awareness of what the minor leagues were started you know probably very very early on and just kind of being obsessed with the mets and then learning there are more mets <laughs> there are, there are more <laughs> there 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 you got at the time, 25 guys on, on the, the major league roster, there's like 200 more guys who are technically Mets. I want to learn everything about them. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't really start getting into the weeds with it until I would say kind of the, the 2014, 15, 16 years. Um, and, you know, that's when you had guys like uh, Noah Syndergaard and, and Steven Matz were, were prospects and, um, I, I would, uh, you know, when the Mets were in, were in Vegas, I would, uh, you know, before I went to sleep, cause the games were on, were on, you know, t- 10 o'clock start, start time on the West coast, get the, the radio broadcast of the Las Vegas 51. Oh my and God. Yeah. To I it. forgot we were the 51s um, for like five years. Yeah. The weirdest so, combination. Like, yes. Why? Yeah. I would, I <laughs> would listen to their games and the, uh, the Binghamton Mets at, at the time, uh, uh, Stephen Matz took a no hitter into the seventh inning of their championship game in 2014, and uh, that was like I listened to that on the radio, and that was fun. Um, and yeah, it just kind of it just kind of evolved of just you know learning more about these guys, and you know it was a small community on on Twitter of of people who were interested in, in uh, following these guys, and uh, in the you know earlier I, I don't want to say the early days of the internet, but the the earlier days of minor league information on the internet it was just hard to find you know, very hard unless, yeah unless you were like super super into it just kind of the opportunity to to write and and you know talk about these, these prospects took took on a, a big interest for me and uh being close to the the brooklyn cyclones in in the city uh, i ended up covering their games kind of you know i was i like to say i was playing beat reporter for the summer um, going out to there almost every night, 2016, 17, and then 2019. Um, and 2016 was cool out there because that was when uh, when Pete Alonso was uh, making his his pro debut. Peter and, you know, Alonso got to talk to him quite a bit before P- he was exactly. Pete. It was Pete, Pete, 
Peter Alonzo. Peter Alonzo. He's not. Oh uh, yeah, I've seen it. that that aforementioned my men my my minor league. You could see his on one of the pillars in the stadium. He's got that like vinyl. <laughs> him Gazelman, I right. think, had one up there. So yeah. Yeah. So so I spent a lot of time at the Peter you know, covering Cyclones games and yeah, and it just uh, continuing to just immerse myself. In, in minor league stuff and now you know this year i got to do a lot of stuff with mlb pipeline and and take the interest in the mets minor leagues and and take that to all 30 teams and um i've learned more about white Sox prospects than i ever thought <laughs> i would I would ever know so I, i'll tell you it's a huge buzz and the, even the guys like when i'm in in studio at the at sny Anything that you put out there is gobbled up because people are are just like you and curious. They they now have an easier access because of people like you to to get more information about their beloved Mets and their future, what it might hold, and and how deep the organization is. And it's fascinating to me to see the fervor of a fan base wanting that knowledge um, and appreciation for what it means to develop and and. That, that's great. I, I love that there's a place The baseball is such a huge industry and to see a kid caster, you know, become, you know, a part of the, 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 the atmosphere of baseball is great, yeah. man. So hard work takes you a long way in any aspect. For sure. For sure. Hell yeah, man. I mean, Jacob, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I learned a ton today about the Mets farm system. I got to tap into Grant Hartwig now. Who's this guy? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And Nunez. I'm in. And I Nunez. wrote those names down. Didn't, so. didn't forget about him too. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you have any last things you want to plug or say to the audience? Yeah. You said an article where, where can people find your stuff? Yeah. I, <laughs> Jerry's, Jerry's the season podcast uh, co-host now. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've got words on, on SNY.tv. And, and you know quite a bit of stuff on on MLB pipeline, um, but you know the, the the home will always always be Twitter. They, they they can never take it away from us. Thank you for tuning in to uh, Shea Station. We'll see you guys next week.